glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. Would you stand with me, please, then? Mark chapter 9. We'll stay standing until we're done reading the text. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them, and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question you with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And uh, he said, Of a child, and oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he rose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. Thank you. You may be seated. Again, I think this is a text we're fairly familiar with. Even if not, I don't think it's been preached recently, but it's referenced often. This is a text that the Lord has used to help me personally with a great deal. Some years ago, in dealing with with many lost people, I look back over the years we've been here, uh, either ourselves or many of you have been here working with us in, in this work, and how many opportunities the Lord has given us to witness to lost people well, whether it be house to house or whether it be someone that's attended this church or in the jail ministry or perhaps a phone call or an email. I mean, host of opportunities. Some people, uh, we, we, we recall and they have a, a, we have a vivid memory. We've had some people come through. I remember our first Jubilee and a man showed up. He was drunk. And some of you, if I called his name, you'd know what I was talking about. And we dealt with him for a number of years trying to see him get saved. I uh, had him acknowledge to me that he had no desire to change. Uh, had many conversations with him, and had another man came through, nearly burned himself up in a tent one night, was drunk, and uh, a very unusual man, and tried to win him to the Lord. And a number of these men I was dealing with at the same time, very, very clearly men under satanic influence. Uh, some, I believe, personally believe, possessed even of, of a devil or demons. I, I say that carefully. People throw that around. But demon possession is true. It's found in your Bible. And in mine, it's still true today. I think as our culture has moved further away from the truth of God's Word and further into a drug and alcohol uh, culture, uh, I believe we meet more people today possessed with devils than we probably have in time past 
Uh, there's a handful of people in my life I'm convinced that's, that's the only explanation for their behavior and their conduct. And I'm reminded that the Lord has no, no problem dealing with that issue. And undoubtedly, there were certain signs that the Lord uh, dealt with here to confirm He was the Son of God. One of, those, one of those was casting out demons, and He authorized the 12 apostles to do the same thing. In fact, it chronologically, just before this is when Jesus had sent out the 70 and authorized them to cast out demons, and they had. But when they came to this situation, they could not. They were incapable, and I've preached messages, and you've heard messages, I imagine, preached on the incapability of the disciples here, and there's a reason for that, and it boiled down to faithlessness. That's what he told them, this kind cometh not but by prayer and fasting. And so some years ago, the Lord really used this text to show me if you're going to deal with people that are steeped in sin and under Satan's power, you've got to be spiritually at a place where you can trust God enough to deal with them from a standpoint of confidence. And the Lord really uses to, to reveal unbelief and faithlessness in my own life and, and seeing how it hinders the work of God. Now, my faith cannot save another man's soul, but my faith can equip me to give him the gospel with power and boldness. Amen? And the same for you and to be effective in doing that. So there's a message for us in that. But I want to focus in on this man. I want you to step into his shoes as we've done before in, in looking at this text. And I want us to try to think about this from his perspective so that we might see the kind of faith that the Lord will honor. We read this morning in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, excuse me, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. I would like, with the Lord's help tonight, to help us see that a good profession of faith is one that holds fast its confidence because of who it is placed in. There's a danger in trying to put faith in our faith. There's a danger in saying, well, if I don't have that kind of faith, if I don't have this amount of faith, then it's not really faith, and that gets outside the bounds of what God's Word says. Faith is any level of genuine trust placed in the Word of God, placed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's see four things tonight if we might, about this man in this text. The first thing we see as we're introduced to him is that this man and his household had been harmed by satanic power. They had been harmed by satanic power. Uh, we know that the devil is still today. He walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It's very interesting. A couple of weeks ago, and I may have already referenced this, so forgive me if I'm a little bit redundant, but I had two instances in, in working with, one was an older man, one a younger man, and both of them the subject of, of the devil and his desire to deceive and to destroy came up. And both men indicated that they felt they had a pretty good handle on dealing with the devil. It was very interesting to me. The younger man said, and I am convinced, he's one of those difficult cases. The younger man said, well, I don't think the devil can do it. I just tell him, I, I deal with him anytime not realizing he is, he is under the power of Satan as he speaks. And you could hear a lightheartedness about the devil and how that the devil really wasn't going to get a hold of him. And uh, undoubtedly he already does. And you can see visibly and physically in that young man's life the, the pining away that is described here. How many of you have, have dealt with people that have been years involved with methamphetamine? There is a pining away. 
That is a tool of Satan that he uses to get entrance and access into the minds of men. And before you know it, they're, they're, and I'm not making fun, this is a grievous thing, but their, their body becomes like skeletons, they lose their teeth, they cut themselves, they pick away at their skin. You talk about satanic influence. They're pining away. And this young man is a picture of what the devil does when he gets a hold of somebody. He, he tears them down piece by piece by piece, mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally. He's a destroyer. Satan is a destroyer. And anything that Satan touches, he harms. And here's a household. I don't know how Satan got access to this little boy, this young, this child in this boy's house. But what I do know is he did get access and he took dominion in this man's house. Here is a man... Uh, as parents, our children are entrusted to us to care for, to protect, to nurture and bring up. And yet, here's a boy that Satan is controlling instead of dad controlling. Satan had gained access to his home and taken domination, if you would, or dominion in the life of his little boy. By the way, is that not what he does? He is a, Satan is a, he is a, a, a terrorist. Job calls him the king of terrors. He's a, he is the original terrorist, meaning, he, he, he manipulates and intimidates through his ability to destroy. Isn't that the goal of terrorism? Destroy something to strike fear in the heart of your enemy so that you can control them. Now, if you watch any dictator throughout history, including the one that's working in Ukraine right now, that is exactly what they want to do. Create images that strike fear in your soul so they can manipulate and get people to do what they want them to do. And this is what Satan's doing here. If we read about it in Matthew, Mark chapter 9 again, the Bible says, as the father describes the condition in his home, he says, and wheresoever, uh, excuse me, verse 17, and one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit, that's a demon, and wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth. You notice he said, wheresoever he taketh him. Who's in charge here? The demon is. He takes the boy where he wants him to go. So Satan has gotten gained dominion, if you would, inside this man's family. He is causing damage to his child. Uh, it says, wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, uh, and he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. You can hear the tone. If you have any level of discerning of someone's spirit, you can hear this man's tone even as we read the text. Satan has come in. He's taking control of my boy's life. He tears him. I, I don't have any power over this. This dumb spirit gets hold of him. And wherever he takes him, he tears him and he gnashes with his teeth. Later on the text, he describes sometimes he throws him in the fire, trying to destroy him that way. I've lost control. And one of these days, he's going to kill my boy and there's nothing I can do about it. Undoubtedly, he had heard of the Lord. Perhaps he had heard of the Lord's disciples being able to cast out devils and it had sparked some hope inside of him. Maybe this is the answer we've been looking for. I cannot read this story without thinking about sometimes when people walk into the house of God and they've heard of maybe a, a, an account on a radio testimony or they've read a tract of somebody whose life has been damaged by Satan. And they say, you know what, I understand what it's like to have... The, the, the devil take dominion over a part of my life, maybe my child, maybe my mate, maybe my own life, and maybe this whole Bible and the Christ of the Bible, I've heard of others that have gotten help, maybe that's the answer. And they show up at church and they ask for help and they leave without getting any. Meaning they say, can somebody show me what I need? And somebody says, well, you know, we'll try. 
And when they leave, no one was able to bring them to sincere and genuine faith in the Lord. And uh, the disciples were powerless to help. And I'll get to that point in just a minute. But here's a man who's been harmed by satanic power, Satan taking dominion in his home, causing damage in his, in his home, which caused great disturbance in his home, wreaking havoc and destruction in his home. And all of that created a distraction to the ministry of the Lord. As the Lord comes off the Mount of Transfiguration, the disciples there are on a spiritual high. I don't mean that in a bad way. They are excited about what they've seen. The Lord transfigured with Moses and Elijah. So Jesus and Peter and James and John are coming down. And there's this disturbance at the bottom of the mountain. And when the Lord walks up, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, are challenging the disciples. May I just say this? When disciples are faithless, it gives opportunity to the enemies of God to make the gospel look like it's false. The scribes are challenging the disciples, questioning with them. You can sense this tumult rising. And may I say this, there are religious enemies of God who would love nothing more than to try to prove that what we teach, we preach about the Lord, is nothing more than fairy tales. And when you and I live faithless lives, and we are spiritually weak, and I'll get into this in a minute, It opens the door for distraction. Instead of people's attention being on what the Lord can do, the attention is on what churches cannot do. Instead of the attention being on the power of Christ, the attention turns to the powerlessness of His disciples. Christians living defeated lives is a shame to the name of Christ. That's what I'm trying to say. And it causes a distraction and a disturbance that Satan's and Satan and those who serve him, the scribes and the Pharisees, they were of their father, the devil. Is that not what Jesus said? And the, the failure of the disciples to help this man and live in personal victory and their ministry opened the door for a distraction. I believe we see a lot of that in our time where there's more attention paid to the, the defeated lives. I believe the enemies of God are saying, oh, yes, another opportunity for us to be heard. Let me ask you a question. Who is being heard more as Jesus descended off that mountain? The scribes and Pharisees or the disciples who had the truth? Those who had the lies or those who had the truth? As they come down, there was some confusion and disturbance. And what you hear as you come off the mountain, the Bible says, verse 14, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them. And the scribes doing what? Questioning. Questioning within. The whole spirit around this whole thing is doubt. We thought you were the servants of God. We thought you people had power over Satan. We thought your master gave you his power. Well, it doesn't look like you're getting it done today. It's like this. We thought that souls could get saved. We thought when people preached the gospel and people believed that lives were changed, but the people around here aren't changed. The boy is still gnashing. Satan's still in control. This thing must be a fraud. Disciples, explain yourselves. I thought you had the power of God. I thought your master was the son of God. Who are you? That's the tone as the Lord comes off the mountain. And so you put yourself in this man's shoes. You've come to where you think you're going to meet true servants of God who have the power of God, who can help you get Satan out of your home. And they were powerless to do that. So he's harmed by satanic power, which leads us right into the next point, and that is he's hindered by spiritual poverty. Hindered by spiritual poverty. You'll notice if you were to read this account in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew, I believe it's chapter 17, And then it's again in Luke's gospel. It's either chapter 8 or chapter 9. We have three accounts of this in our Bibles. And each one gives us a full account. The Lord Jesus is not only dealing with the faithlessness of this man. He deals with the faithlessness of his disciples. The faithlessness of the scribes and Pharisees. When he answers the man, he says, Oh, faithless generation. 
One of the other texts says, I believe he says, O faithless and perverse generation. But definitely here, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? This man is hindered by the spiritual poverty of God's people. So he's already harmed by satanic power, but in trying to get help over Satan, now he's hindered, if you would, by powerless Christians. Verse 18, he says, And wheresoever he taketh him, he tarreth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out. What are the next few words? And they could not. I wonder if someone came to us today and said, I want to know for sure in my own heart how I can have salvation from my sins and assurance of that. I wonder if every child of God in this room could lead another to Christ. Could take their Bible and say, this is what you can believe with all your heart because God says it. This is what God's Word says. See, I believe sometimes there are those who would get help and we're not able to help them. That could not mean there was an incapability. There was a spiritual strength needed here that these disciples did not have. They had not prepared themselves for this moment. And so here's a man who's been harmed by satanic power, hindered by spiritual poverty in the servants of Christ and in himself. You notice what he says to the Lord Jesus? When you, what we're getting here is a picture of uh, the whole setting here and the whole, the whole attitude that's in this text of Scripture is we're not sure if the Lord can help or not. There are many today who've heard preaching, but deep in their heart they have been harmed by Satan and hindered by the spiritual poverty even of others. They have sought help and not been able to get it. Maybe they've sought wisdom from God's Word. Maybe they've sought an answer of truth and someone was incapable to open Scripture and point them to the Word of God and say, this is the need you have and this is God's answer for your need. And maybe you knew technically the answer, but one's own heart was filled with doubt. You can tell by the end of the story, the disciples aren't sure. Why did we fail? We've been able to do this in time past. What happened here? This is a unique spiritual challenge where Satan is seeking, obviously, through his influence in the life of a person to discredit the person of Jesus Christ, and it was working. Harmed by Satan's power, hindered by spiritual poverty, this man has come, and and he is still not getting help, though he is in the very presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's spiritual poverty in the disciples. There was spiritual poverty in himself. The Lord would have to say to him, he says to Jesus, and listen to his statement, verse 22, And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if, what's that word? If thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. That word if means I'm not sure if you can help or not. Now there's some would say, well, that man can't get any help. If you, and, and you know what? Until he comes to the point where he's willing to let the Lord help him, no, but... That word if entails, I'm not sure because your disciples couldn't help me. I'm not sure if you can either. You know what he's insinuating? My case may be even too hard for God. If thou canst help us, thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. How many times does Satan work at convincing us, number one, through the level of damage he's caused in our own lives, Number two, through the spiritual failure of others that we look to to have confidence in. It may be a parent, a pastor, a teacher, just another Christian. And he gets us focusing on the failures and he says, this one's too big for the disciples 
And now this man's wondering, it may even be too big for the Lord. You know, I believe Satan works that. And I'm not preaching message glorifying Satan tonight. I, but the Bible speaks of him and his, and we are not, the Bible says we are not ignorant of his devices. I believe he is working overtime today to get us focused on the evils in our culture, the unbelief in our society, the failings of Christians, the falling preachers and failing Christians and failing church members and people not living in victory and saying, see, I'm the ruler of this age and I've got this one and even God himself can't overcome the mess we're in now. Are you with me? That's where this man is at. He's got such a situation that in speaking personally to the living Son of God in flesh and bones, right in front of him, flesh and blood at this time, he says, if thou canst do anything. Now there's another man who had leprosy and what he said to Jesus is, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. What a different statement, wouldn't you agree? He didn't say, if you can do it. He said, you can if you will. And Jesus said, I will be thou clean. No hesitation. But this man says, I'm not sure if you can. Uh, my situation's too hard. I'm too damaged by the devil. I'm too steeped in sin. Here's how this may apply to you tonight. The devil may have worked some of you over. Nobody else around you may know it. Satan may have worked you over and you have sought help and say, I've been incapable, I've been able to, unable to get help. I've even gone to people that I thought could help me and they didn't have the answer that I thought. Now I'm not even sure if the Lord himself can help me, if he be the Lord. I, I'm just not sure. This man is so, he is so impressed with the power of Satan in his life that he is not sure if the Lord Jesus Christ can help him or not. We can get there, by the way. Uh, but I'll say this. He's telling the right person. He's telling the right person. But I'll just say, he's harmed by satanic power, hindered by spiritual poverty, and then he's humbled by the Savior's proclamation. Verse 19. I don't know about you. This is where I see the Lord is so much wiser than I. If this man came to me and said this, and I were in the Lord's shoes, I'd start apologizing for my disciples. I'd start saying, I am so sorry they couldn't help you. I am so sorry for the grief that you've had to go through. And I'm so sorry for the... You know, I would sympathize with the man, but the Lord's statement almost sounds harsh. Now let's look at it, verse 19. He answereth him and saith... Now who's he answering? He's answering him, but there's no doubt he's answering them through him. He answering, answering him, he answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you how long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. Part of that is a rebuke to the man for his unbelief. We know that in the context of Scripture. Part of it is a rebuke to his disciples for their unbelief. How much longer was Jesus going to be there in person? They're going to have to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit of God without his physical presence. By the way, unbelief requires physical evidence. Doubt requires physical evidence. I need to see, feel, hear, or touch. You'll notice in Scripture... Those who had great faith, the Gentile Roman centurion who had great faith. You realize, according to the account of Scripture, it doesn't seem that he ever even laid eyes on Jesus Christ. He sent his messengers and said, I know what it means to have authority, and if you'll just speak the word, my servant will be whole. And Jesus said, I've not seen so great faith, no, not in Israel. Why? Because he said, I don't need you to come touch him. I don't need you to come pray over him. I don't even need to see your physical body in my house. If you say the word, my servant will be whole. But the disciples here couldn't, without Jesus' physical presence, they couldn't perform. 
And he wants them to be prepared to rely on the Holy Spirit of God, meaning the presence of God without any visible evidence whatsoever, without any audible evidence whatsoever. He wants us to learn to discern him by faith, and so he's frustrated. Remember, faith operates without seeing. We don't have to see results to believe what God says. That's faith. When I got saved, I didn't see I didn't see uh, lightning. I didn't hear thunder. I heard a Bible verse. And I believed it. And that's what God did to save me. Same with you. When you got saved, somebody told you what the Bible says, and you believed that that was the Word of God because it is, and God saved you. My point is this tonight. The Lord Jesus, in rebuking this man, there's a, a humbling of the man. The man is distraught, and he said, Thy certain your disciples couldn't help. And he answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. The Lord Jesus charges this man and charges those around with being what? Faithless. I mean, you don't have faith. You're not trusting in me, in my power, in my ability. You're without faith. And then he challenges the man. If we move on down, verse 20, And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him. And he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. It's always intrigued me why he asked him that. I'm not entirely sure, but I know the Lord says nothing by accident. And I don't know if he was taking him back to a moment and let's get to the root of why this came into your home. I don't know. But he said, How long since this came on him? Of a child. Verse 22, And oft times it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. You you help me tonight. What is this man consumed with? The greatness of God or the greatness of his problem? He He gives you vivid details about what Satan is doing in his family. He's done this and he's done this and he casts him into the fire and he tries to destroy him. He is focused on on the size and the power of the devil. It's where he's focused. I believe it is right to expose the sin in our world. I believe it is right to articulate the power of Satan to destroy. But anytime we start putting Satan on par with Jesus Christ, we are out of kilter. We must remember Jesus Christ created him and Jesus Christ will destroy him. In fact, he's already destroyed him. When Jesus Christ came out of that grave on the third day, Satan was ruined. He, He crushed his head. And you and I must understand, the Lord Jesus is not still trying to win over the devil. Friend, he already defeated him. That is done. And you and I must not treat the devil like he is a superior foe. He is a defeated foe. And I say that with no disrespect. We must be mindful and careful how we speak. Michael the archangel wouldn't rebuke him himself. He said, the Lord rebuke thee. But I'm here to tell you, the Lord has done that. And this man is more, he is more impressed with the power of Satan to destroy than he is with the power of Christ to deliver. We must get our thinking right tonight. So the Lord rebukes him. He charges him. You're faithless. He's charging the disciples with faithlessness. But then he challenges the man. The man says, if thou canst do anything, very quickly, if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, and here's his challenge, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. You know what he's saying? It's not a problem about what I can do. I have the power to deal with your problem. The question is, it's what can you can you trust me? 
I can meet your need. I can, I am up to the challenge. Can you trust me? Yeah, is that not it? It's kind of like this. You come to a raging river of water and man, you look at that and you think, that's some swift moving water. If I stepped in that, it would just carry me away. I'm not strong enough. And some big burly guy comes and says, hey, I tell you, I've crossed over that multiple times and I know where the, the right places are to step. And if you'd allow me, I'll carry you over. Oh, I don't think so. I don't think so. I can't go through that. He says, well, of course you can't, but I can take you. At that point, you've got to be convinced that he has the capability to do what he's promised to do. And you're getting across that raging river. Water is not about what you can do, and it's not about what he can do. It's just a matter of, are you able to trust him to do it? And when it comes to our Savior, he is fully able to deal with our sin. He is fully able to deal with Satan. Some of you face temptations day by day, and we feel like, but these temptations are greater than any. They're not greater than him. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. Our question cannot be, how great is my sin? My question must be, how great is the Savior? And if He's not great enough to conquer the power of Satan in my life, then, friend, why are we trusting Him and saying He's our Savior? If He's so insufficient and so dead that He cannot practically, in a very living and real way, deliver me in the hour of temptation, what kind of a Savior is that? There is no deficiency with Jesus Christ, only a deficiency in our faith. If we can believe him, he is able to overcome. When it comes to the power of Satan and all that he is doing to destroy, I believe this. The Lord is able to take the life of a young person, give that young person victory, lead them in a life of faithfulness if we can trust him to do it. Amen? And so then, this man's humbled. First of all, harmed by satanic power, hindered by spiritual poverty, humbled by the Savior's proclamation. We use that because here's what the man it brings the man to tears. It brings him to brokenness. What the Lord's saying is, you've asked if I can. That's not the question. I can if you can trust me. If you can trust me, if you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. Verse 24, and we come to our final point. We see that he's helped by the Savior's power. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. That's what brings us to this text tonight, those three words. Lord, I believe. Jesus said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. But you know what? This is a, a very sincere profession. Because he said, Lord, I believe. Help thou mine unbelief. I would call this a profession slash confession. Has not Jesus just told him, you're faithless? You know what he's saying to the Lord? You're right. I won't argue with you that I'm doubting but I'm going to believe you just enough to ask you to help me with my sin. I know I should be trusting you, and I'm not. Would you please help me? I love this story because you know what the Lord does? He honors such little faith, just enough faith to say, you know what faith is? Knowing his word is right even when it says I'm wrong. Isn't Jesus rebuking this man? But quick agreement saying, Lord, I, I do believe I trust you enough to tell you the truth. Help thou mine unbelief. There's a profession and there's a plea all in one right here. The Bible says in verse 24, I love this, and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit. I mean, how long did the Lord wait to help him? 
as soon as that man exercised such tiny little faith to say, Lord, I believe, help them unbelief. And the Lord sees the people come running, meaning the distractions growing larger. He rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could not we cast him out? And he said to them, This kind can come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. We'll say just a little bit about those final verses in just a moment. What I want us to see is the moment this man exercised sincere faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, enough to trust him with the truth of where he really was, then the Lord helped him. And I believe this is where we get some definition of what faith is. Faith is not saying, Lord, you know how great my faith in you is. Faith is being honest enough, honest with God, trusting him enough to be honest and transparent and say, Lord, you know that I have a hard time trusting you. But I want your help, so please help me trust you. You know what our, you know what this tells us? Our faith is provided us by his faithfulness. Is that not what we just said in 1 Corinthians 10, 13? Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 says, uh, let, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Our faith is contingent upon his faithfulness. Faithful is he which calleth you who also will do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. So then our faith is in his righteousness and in his faithfulness and when we transfer that to him, he'll never fail the one who puts sincere faith in him. Matthew 5, 7, Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. James chapter 4, verse 2 says, You ask, uh, you have not because ye Ask not, or then next you ask and receive not because you ask amiss. When we will ask for what we need, trusting him, putting our faith in him, not in our faith. You hear people today, just have faith. No, no, have faith in Christ. He's the living son of God. And when we do, we not only have a, we see his profession, we see his plea, but we see the man's preservation. The Bible says Jesus commanded the Spirit to come out, and it did, and came no more into him. The Lord said, go out and enter no more into him. This is a problem not temporarily resolved, but permanently resolved. Because it was resolved by the Lord Jesus Christ. In closing, Ephesians chapter 3. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 3. And then we'll close with Hebrews chapter 10, where we started this morning in introducing this. Ephesians chapter 3. We know this verse, but we need to meditate on it. The Bible says in verse 20, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. That's the power of Christ. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Now to Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23. Verse 22 says, Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. And in parentheses it says, Why? For he is faithful that promised. We can hold fast the profession of our faith in Christ because of his faithfulness. Many times we say, Lord, if you could help me. And I believe the Lord's response to us is, I can if you can trust me. The question is, can we, can we actually approach the Bible and say the promises that he gives here and the commands that he gives 
God is speaking to me directly through this, and I can put literal trust in the Word of God because the God of this Word is still living. So when he says, if you lack wisdom, I can go to him and trust completely that he'll give me the wisdom I need because he's living to do it. What, what gives the, the gospel power tonight is the fact that Christ is he's risen. And the power that we read about in this story tonight, and I'm not, and I'm not talking about going out and being some kind of a, a harebrained movement that's trying to draw attention, but I'm saying this. The Lord Jesus Christ who raised from the dead is living. And if I'm facing satanic opposition, I'm facing sinful opposition, if I'm discouraged through the failures of others, hey, that's no, that is no indictment on Jesus Christ. The power of Satan and the, and the poverty spiritually of those around us has nothing to do with what he's able to do. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's able to direct my path. He's able to deliver me from sin. He's able to deal with satanic influence in our lives and home and even in our church and nation. We trust Him for it. Amen? So tonight, are we saying, it could be somebody's here and saying, I'm not sure if the Lord can help me or not. I've heard, I've heard all about what He can do, but I'm just not sure. Maybe the Lord's saying to you, if thou canst believe, I can do whatever you need me to do in, in order to overcome sin or Satan. But the question is, can you trust Him? Can we trust him to act on our behalf today just as he did in what we read tonight? And if not, then we're just playing games. Not Is that not true? May we get our eyes off of the power of Satan, off of the failures of other saints, and our eyes on the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. If he can save my soul from eternal hell, I believe he can save me today from a temptation I face in my life. Mm-hmm.